I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted. The, the podcast. podcast. And I'm not Theo. I am not Juliet. And today we're excited to be here to talk to you about a number of things, including what's shaking bacon. What's shaking bacon? Uh, this week, <laughs> this week was a very quiet week for me. So happily, nothing. Um, nothing. I've been keep. Yeah, not really. Um, I mean, I did stuff, but not interesting. However, uh, I was in a grocery store. Thanksgiving is coming up. And so I did some panic buying. Like, what if we run out of turkeys? I yeah, better buy yeah, one. Yeah, I better buy six turkeys. That's what I did. <laughs> They're going to be cold <laughs> by next Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, it was in the grocery store and I saw uh, half the people easily, including staff, not wearing masks. Maybe God, even 60% of wow. people around me. Yeah. And I... I congratulated myself for not having that, I'm going to call it that instinctive response. It's not instinctive, but just that my initial response early on in the pandemic was, you need to be put to death for not wearing a mask. <laughs> you need to die, and I need to be the one to get to kill you, right? That's how I felt. And so I do, I'm not feeling that way anymore. I don't feel like you deserve to die. Um well, yeah, and the so, stakes are lower now that we have the vaccines and the boosters, I think. So it's a little bit less infuriating to see people not caring about other people. Well, and I think I've just accepted that COVID now, COVID tomorrow, COVID forever. We're COVID always going to have COVID. Yeah. That we've got the pills. We've got the vaccines. Here we go. This is yep. it, right? Yep. So, okay, cool. I, I'm accepting that. And fine, whatever. It works. But so I wrote down in my notes app, um, I no longer want to beat people to death. <laughs> And then I saw a family and they weren't wearing masks and their kids weren't wearing masks. And I got a little angry about that. Yeah. Right. Because children aren't vaccinated or right. most a lot of kids aren't vaccinated and there's age right. restrictions and whatever. So when I see like a three year old kid holding mommy's hand in the grocery store or whatever, not wearing a mask, I'm like, should you be thrown in jail for child abuse? Yeah. Like. Really? And so then I wrote down child abuse. And then it occurred to me, so I was walking through the parking lot, if I got hit by a car and died on the scene uh-huh. and the police came and found my phone, they would uh-huh. find a note that said, I don't want to beat people to death. Child abuse. <laughs> and no one would be sad that I died because what a horrible person. Was that Trader Joe's? Uh, no, no. It was a- <laughs> I'm always going to ask you that now. Anytime you mention going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, right. Because. uh, Because what's his name brought it up in in our interview. uh, Yes. Right. Uh, It's true. When. So I loved everybody. Here's another commercial for somebody who's not paying us. I love Trader (laughs) Joe's. Um, I essentially grew up with Trader Joe's, at least starting from the age of 19 when I moved to L.A., and it was just always an amazing place for me because you could get really great stuff, very cheap. And on Friday, Friday night for 20 bucks, you could get cheese, bread and wine and have yep. people over. 
Yep. How adult, how sophisticated, <laughs> how European. So I love Trader Joe's for that reason. Um, and so when we moved to Texas, I moved here and I discovered there was no Trader Joe's. Oh, wow. The closest one was eight hours away. Holy shit. And I called, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, I called Trader Joe's corporate office yeah. once a year yeah. for like five years in a row wow. to ask them, when are you guys going to open up in Texas? Wow. And yeah. then they did. So it was all And then you. they did. And you're welcome, everybody. Uh, well, me and the three million other Californians that all moved here. So That all moved to Austin. Um, yeah. Yeah. For real. Uh, but that's great. That's That's funny. I'm glad you didn't die that day. Or you would have had a great story to tell on a podcast, and that would have really boosted the ratings. We I would have a, a lot podcast of press. without you. Who am I going to do this podcast with? Oh, you'd find somebody. <laughs> hey, be... you. <laughs> Off the street. <laughs> yeah. Want to do a but... podcast, little boy? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that just went places. <laughs> Speaking right, of little what, boys, we, we have a topic today. Oh, we do, but uh, yeah, what's shaking bacon? You have to what's tell me. Bacon? I'm getting, I'm excited because I'm today. Um, we're doing, we're we're recording this podcast on Friday instead of Sunday, as is our usual habit. Because over the weekend, I'm going to go down um, and be a tourist in San Francisco and hang out, um, stay in a hotel at Fisherman's Wharf. And just kind of wander around in the mornings and see see what's shaking bacon in the early mornings at Fisherman's Wharf. It used to be um, when I would do this. It was twenty years ago, and I used to go down and run along the uh, along the the wharf and the piers and stuff. And you would see um, people. You see fishermen like coming in with fish and setting up the stalls and shit like that. And I bet that's not the case anymore. But we'll see. We'll see what's going on in the early mornings uh, down at Fisherman's Wharf. I'll, I'll take my dog and I'll walk around and, and check out everything. And that's the big excitement of my weekend. So I'm really actually looking forward to that. Taking some pictures and seeing the seals on Fisherman's Wharf or the sea lions or whatever the hell they are. And uh, just checking out the tourists. It, should be, it shouldn't be too crowded because it's November. So it's kind of kind of cloudy and gray this weekend. So it's perfect weather for San Francisco. That is really cool. I think it should be fun. Um, but that's really all that's going on. I was telling Theo before the podcast started that we had bought way too much food for Thanksgiving. So I'm sitting here in this kitchen overloaded with uh, all kinds of crap that I'm never going to be able to eat, especially since we're going away for the weekend. So it's probably all going to go bad. <laughs> <laughs> but when I get back on Sunday, I'm going to make uh, a sticky toffee bunt cake with a bunt pan that Theo happily, graciously, and generously sent me. So I'm totally excited about that. Um, I never would have bought myself a bunt pan. So uh, he's made, he's you've made Thanksgiving possible, Theo. Oh, because of the bunt pan. Because <laughs> of the bunt pan. <laughs> Thank, well, we all know how important bunt cakes are to Thanksgiving. Uh, absolutely. It's They're the reason we have Thanksgiving. Absolutely. So now let's talk about Thanksgiving and... Well, yeah, and Charlie Brown and... I love Charlie Brown. Peanuts is my favorite cartoon. I liked it too growing up. After a certain point, I kind of fell off of it. And I think it's just because it was so wholesome that well, nothing you know, happened. The thing is that it... When it was when it started out for the first like twenty or thirty years, it was really incisive and witty. And then after like I guess Charles Schultz got older and you know whatever, it just became kind of nothing happening, just a little wholesome and bullshit. So it wasn't as as cool as it was early on. But like I've got this one cartoon like sitting in front of me right now, and it's got um, 
Peppermint Patty and Franklin. And Franklin we're going to talk about a little bit more. He's a little boy, uh, the first African-American character in the strip. But um, she, they're, they're on a pond, a frozen over pond skating. And he's got a ice hockey stick in his hand, hockey stick in his hand. And she says, all right, Franklin, what do you think you're doing? And he goes, playing hockey, what does it look like? And she's, it looks like you're in my way, that's what. I'm practicing for a figure skating competition. He goes, what about me? I'm practicing to become a great hockey player. And she goes, how many black players in the NHL, Franklin? Wow, hold right? on. Is that, the, <laughs> is that the whole comic? Does he come yeah, back with a, any witty? That's nope. the joke? That's it. She's like, come on, Franklin, get out of my way. You can't do this because you're black. And there's, there's like, at that point, there was one black player in the NHL when that cartoon was written. So it's like an oh. incisive comment about, um, about racism the lack in the of NHL. diversity. Yeah. Literally. Okay. Yeah. Or racism, <laughs> or how racists want to be figure skaters. Because racists want to be figure skaters. <laughs> but it used to be more like that than what it became later with like Charlie Brown Christmas, which was kind of, I like Charlie Brown Christmas and I love it. I watch it every it's year. Sweet. Yeah, but it's, it's sweet. Yeah. But it's nothing but sweet. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and wow. How funny that your retelling of that peppermint patty NHL strip made me rethink my position on this controversy we're going to talk about in the apology from Gene Schultz for racism in a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Um, I, Cause I was like, Oh, that feels a little racist there, but okay. You extended the thinking for me. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 So Franklin oh, was God. introduced. Yeah. Franklin was introduced to peanuts in July of 1968, which is before, um, before we had, uh, what's a Bill Cosby's cartoon? Uh, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. That was 74. So this was before that. Um, I think this was really one of the first African... I'm going to say one of the first African-American characters that weren't racist caricatures in comics. Um, there were... Well, certainly in a mainstream comic. In a mainstream because, comic, yeah. yeah. There there was... I think the Jackson 5 had a comic strip or an animated show. They, but yeah. that's kind of different. Well, uh, what I... Uh, what I can say as a time marker, um, there's a very famous episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood right. where he's, oh, okay, so he puts his feet in a tub, you, a wading pool, tub, yeah, yeah kiddie pool, uh, and the mailman comes by, and it's a hot day, and Mr., I was going to say Mr. Bill, and it's not Mr. Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill. Mr. Mr. Bill Rogers. says, hey, come on. No, and the uh, mailman is African-American. Right, and Mr. Rogers invites the mailman to enjoy the pool with him right. um, in a non-sexual way. And... <laughs> oh, I said it, and I think it's so funny. <laughs> It's funny. <laughs> and dumb. Um, <laughs> but he invites the mailman to come and cool off and, and, you know, stick his feet in the pool. And the mailman's like, yeah, I've been walking around all day. Great. I'll do that. And, of course, the mailman is African-American or black. Yeah. And, and the shock at the time was they were both sharing the same water on TV and, and swimming pools and stuff were segregated mostly yes. at the time. If they weren't segregated by law, they were segregated de facto. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it was um, a nice way for a children's show 
to introduce children to the concept of equality. See, we're right. sharing the same water and nothing happened. I actually um, invited this person to come join me and this person graciously accept blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so, you know, big, big event in children's Possibly TV. A big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds so weird today. And I don't think it was big for the kids as much as it was for the parents. Right. Well, right. It's only big for the kids are fine with whatever. Right. Yeah. If you told a kid today's the day we have to paint ourselves green and walk backwards down the street and sing hippity hoo. <laughs> They would do it. <laughs> As my grandnephew is about to find out. <laughs> grandnephew? Yeah, my niece had a baby, and so... She I'm, did? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, anyway, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> What's shaking, bacon? Congratulations. My niece grew... My five-year-old niece had a baby. <laughs> That's physically impossible. <laughs> Apparently, she's pretending to be 30 now. She must be older than I remember, Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. I derailed you. So, <laughs> so do we want to talk about um, peanuts, or do we want to talk about Thanksgiving first? Because it is Thanksgiving well, week. It is Thanksgiving week. Um, we will have some people who are driving to their families and oh, looking yeah. for an escape um, from knowing what's about to come to them. Thanksgiving. Okay, the family. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be great. Everyone it's will be happy. Be no one will get messily drunk. <laughs> no one's oh. gonna commit commit. Hi, commit right any here crimes. would be the first. I'd show up drunk. <laughs> right. Totally. I'm here. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I mean the political on. landscape is much better. So yay. Um, anyway, yeah, let's talk about like what is Thanksgiving because um, uh, this episode there. are are charges leveled against a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving for a racist moment in the show. Potentially, um, yeah. Yeah. And so, which which is really what we're going to examine. But, you yep. know, uh, to say like, oh, racism and Thanksgiving? How, what a weird mix. Not at all. It's a tradition that goes back <laughs> hundreds of years. To the beginning of Thanksgiving, yes. I almost Aye. said thousands of years, but that's literally <laughs> impossible um, okay, so the history of Thanksgiving. Let's I learned some cool stuff. Oh, cool. I, let's see if you learned some cool stuff. Maybe I will. Um, lie and just say how cool. <laughs> how cool. And I'm already impressed. My feelings won't be hurt at all then. Okay, great. <laughs> so uh, starting back in September of 1620, 102 religious separatists and land speculators left Plymouth, England, and 66 days later made landfall near Cape Cod, and a month later, they sailed across the Massachusetts Bay to begin a new colony at Plymouth, Massachusetts, thus committing the first crime in American history, a lack of creativity. They left Plymouth, England, and they yeah. landed in Plymouth, America. Plymouth. You right. guys, yeah, well, literally, you could have called it tree, and it would have been more original. What struck me in your story so far is that not only are these religious people, but land speculators? Sure, yep. People so that were going to come over and... Come over, take the land from the Indians and make money off of it. Well, I mean, you know, did we, did they know that the Indians were there? Sure, maybe. But at the same time, um, whatever, the Indians didn't have a concept of land ownership. Well, um, that's what they say. That's what they say. But I mean, that's they what white maybe, people say. That's what the white people say. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't know. Well, they had honestly. territories, right? But the, yeah. But yeah, I mean, whatever, because already okay. I'm in an area that I can't speak to because we don't know. We're I suspicious. don't know. Yeah. I, I, I've studied uh, 
Native American history in one semester at university, and it was taught to us by a white man who studies Native Americans. So I uh, what do I know? Right. Right. Uh, enough to get in trouble is what I know. All right. Cool. So. Uh, so they land in about November, they hit the U.S., and then they yeah. start establishing their colony in December of 1620. And, of course, we're in the midst of the mini ice age there. So right. it's not cold. only bitterly cold in a northern climate, it, it's deadly cold. So the colonists stay on the ship, um, and they suffer scurvy and disease, and half of them die. So you're left oh with God. about 50 people. Right, oh who've gone through a brutal winter, oh. and in March of 1621, they get off of the ship and they start, st- you know, building little houses or whatever. Right, and a Native American comes out of the woods and greets them in English. What? I know. And if I saw that in a movie, I'd be like lazy writing. This is totally. Dumb. This is God writing lazy stuff again. Yes, exactly. Well, this is God writing lazy stuff because. The Native American who came out of the woods and greeted the English people in English, emphasis on greeted. He didn't have a conversation with them in English. Right. He, he was just like, hey, man. Had an expression he could use that they yeah. understood as a greeting, right? Um, so I don't know his name because I wasn't there and Wikipedia right. didn't tell me. But right. um, he learned this English from a name that you're going to recognize, Squanto. I knew it was going to be Squanto. I forgot all about Squanto, uh, uh, whose real name is Tisquantum, and I can understand yes. why they went with Squanto. Um, okay, so uh, I'm going to call him Tisquantum, even okay. though... Respectful. Yeah, I'm going to be respectful, even though Squanto yeah. is easier. easier for me to say. Um, all right, so uh, Tisquantum was a member of the Pawtucket tribe. Of course, I've mispronounced that terribly. Um and he was kidnapped by an English sea captain and sold into slavery in Spain in 1614, or around 1614, for our history nerds out there. Um, he was sold to Christian monks who educated him in religion and, and how to be European. Uh, he escaped, and he got to London. And he returned, and potentially, maybe, maybe... He met Pocahontas because okay. she was in London in 1617, 1618, and he may have been in London around the same time. Interesting. Maybe. I don't know. That, I don't. That's not documented, but potentially, probably, maybe. It's possible. Maybe they had a love child who ascended to the <laughs> throne of England. Okay, no. And so, uh, so he escapes to London, and then he gets back to America. Amazing. From England on a boat uh. where... Because... He knows how to make money in America. Right. And so, hey, oh, you want to set up a colony? You want to you want to grab some land? You want to know where you. the gold is? I know. I speak the language. I'm from there. Right? <laughs> so, um, so he gets back to America only to discover uh, that his entire village had been wiped out by an infectious disease. And so Jesus. through the weirdness of luck... Bad luck, right? Um, he gets kidnapped. He learns English. He gets back to America, only to discover that his entire village has been wiped out. Had he stayed, he would have died. Uh, and he joins another tribe, the Wampanoag. And okay. so it's the Wampanoag that help 
the pilgrims that first year, right? The Wampanoag are like, yeah, we saw you in your big boat and we saw you guys starving to death and we wondered, you know, what was up, but (laughs) not our business. (laughs) And so the Indian that had stepped out of the woods had learned some English from Tisquantum and Tisquantum Uh was brought to the village and met the pilgrims and showed them what foods to plant and how to grow these specific crops here in this country and what things to avoid and what you can eat. It's really nice of them. Cool. Very nice of him, right? Um, And in November of that same year, so what, six, seven, eight months after March? It's 11. Yeah, I got into math there. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) So, So they get off the boat in March, and eight months later... They are celebrating, and they decide to have a um, a day, a feast, to show their appreciation to the Lord. They probably didn't call it Thanksgiving, but these types of um, food ceremonies were common enough. You know, we're going to give thanks to God, and we're either going to fast and not right. eat, or, or we're, we're going ourselves. to, and yeah, exactly, it's going to A or B. Right. So cool. So they have a big feast that lasts for three days, and a pilgrim chronicler named Edward Winslow wrote a paragraph about the three day feast. And yeah. all we know is they ate deer. Cool. There's a lot of speculation about they ate swan and they ate bear and they ate, but we know they had some deer, right? All right. So, cool. Um, and so off and on throughout American history, the colonists would hold feast days, right, or fasting days uh, uh-huh. to give up to the Lord appreciation for having helped them. So right. 1621 was the first Thanksgiving, nothing in 1622, and then in 1623, uh, oh, dude, what's your name? Your Governor Winslow, yes, uh, no, Governor William Bradford, sorry, in 1623, Governor William Bradford says, hey, let's have another uh, day of thanks because we just had a drought and it's over. So God has sent us tons of rain and let's not eat anything, which uh-huh. if you think about it, they have had a drought. Yep. Crops have suffered. So yep. it makes sense rather yep. than eat everything, not to eat anything. So day right. of fasting. Cool. All right. So then uh, we've got off and on through American history different colonies holding days of thanks. Uh, during the American Revolution, the Continental, the Continental Congress designated a couple of days as a Thanksgiving day throughout a year. Um, hmm. That grammatically doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's just to say that the, the U.S. government, the Continental government, decided, hey, let's have a day of appreciation for X, Y, or Z. Um, in 1789, George Washington issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation for the entire nation, and it called upon Americans to express their gratitude for the happy conclusion to the country's war of independence and the successful ratification of the U.S. Constitution. So therein we see this nice little blend of, or this move, let's call it a move, of Thanksgiving days of appreciation going from religious festivities festivities where we're thanking God to something that becomes political, gotcha. right? We're thanking for the end of the war and for the birth of our nation and our yes. government, right? Yes. We're thanking God for that, but it's getting political. Um, all right, cool. So from 1789, there are a couple of other presidents that follow Washington who also hold Thanksgiving days, right? Um, national, nationally decreed. You had um, Thanksgiving 
pockets happening regionally throughout different times of the year where different states would hold Thanksgiving, whatever, Wednesday in July. I don't know. I'm making mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, up, right? But, mm-hmm. but there was no uniformity to it. Um, In 1817, New York became the first of several states to officially adopt an annual Thanksgiving holiday. In 1827, the noted magazine, you can tell I'm reading, the noted magazine editor and prolific writer, Sarah Josepha Hale, who's the author of the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and a ton of other things. She was an editor for Goody's Lady Journal, which mm-hmm. became the leading periodical, which right. taught dumbest, domesticity to women, right? Um, how to sew, what to cook, what's expected yeah. of a woman. But also she was very pro-female uh, education. I mean, she was a feminist for the day, okay. right? Uh, probably would be the best way to describe her. So you got to be married. You got to have kids, but you should be able to read. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Makes uh, sense. You have to read to your children. Yeah. Um, Okay, so she launched a campaign to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday, uh, again, starting in 1827. So in her magazine, she would plant little stories about Thanksgiving traditions. And um, for 36 years, she wrote letters to governors, to presidents. Yep. Um, Not to Jesus. That's like you trying to get a Trader Joe's. Well, I did it and she did it. She's known (laughs) as the mother of Thanksgiving. I've never heard of her. No. You no. need a better press agent. Should so, write to someone about that. Sarah jo- oh, I should become her press agent. <laughs> Sarah Josepha Hale. I love that middle name. Um, eventually convinced Abraham Lincoln to declare a national holiday. Go, and girl. he did this in 1863 at the height of the Civil War. Um he issued an, a, pro, a proclamation entreating all Americans to ask God, a little back to religion here, to condemn to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife, and to heal the wounds of the nation. And he scheduled Thanksgiving for the final Thursday in November. This would now be an annual event starting in mm-hmm. 1827, mm-hmm. thanks to the efforts of one Sarah Josepha Hale, the mother of Thanksgiving. Um, and so Thanksgiving was celebrated from uh, 1863 onwards for 76 years on the last Thursday of November. Of November. Right? And then, and we kind of all loosely know this who are Gen X because it's the thing we were taught in American history. And then um, in 1939, Frank Lore, Frank Lore? Yes. Franklin. Frank Lore Delano. Hi. And there's a nice bridge to our topic. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I know, right? Look how smart I am. Um, uh, Moved the holiday up one week. So it's going to be not the last Thursday, but the the before the last Thursday, which isn't confusing at all. Um, In an attempt to first increase, not burst, retail sales. He wanted to increase retail sales because the economy had burst during the Great Depression. Um, Mm. Roosevelt's plan became known as Franksgiving, and people were not happy with it. They thought he was an asshole, right? Um, and there was passionate opposition, which is so weird because God, really? who now, cares? well, one, I mean, yeah, who cares? And then two, if you tried to move it back, all yeah. those people that were bitching before oh, they'd be about, just they'd as be mad. bitching. Yes, right. So bitches are going to bitch. 
I made that saying <laughs> up just now. Um, all right, cool. And so starting in 1941, it moved to the, uh, I call it the fourth Thursday, uh, but the before the last Thursday. And that was all done in an effort to help uh, retailers prepare for Christmas. Oh, I did and, not know that. That is an interesting story. Well, thank you. Yes, how cool. You are welcome. These, <laughs> these last 15 minutes were not spent in vain. Absolutely not. From uh, landlords moving moving over to America to take advantage of the poor Indian people to uh, uh, saving money for the or making, <laughs> for money for the, <laughs> making money for retail. Listen, I don't know. Apparently, no <laughs> one's told you. We are a society from the beginning. This whole life is nothing but about money. <laughs> Seems to be the case, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's not get unhappy. Let's let's get happy and talk about the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special and and this controversy. Yes. So the Charlie unhappy. Brown Thanksgiving special. Let me see. Let me go through. I've got I've got it right here. Don't panic. I, I'm not delaying <laughs> at all or stalling for time. Not one bit. I was so fascinated by Theo's rendition of American Thanksgiving history. I completely lost track of everything. Um, So the animated special of Charlie Brown Thanksgiving came out in 1973. And there's some controversy recently over this special because um, one scene, um, a sequence of the the special shows Franklin, who we'll talk about uh, in more detail in a minute, um, shows him sitting on one side of the table all by himself. Um, so Franklin, as I mentioned earlier, is is a little boy in the comic strip Peanuts, and uh, he showed up for the first time in Peanuts in 1968. He's the first African-American character in the strip. And um, according to Peanuts.com, he plays baseball, he's learning guitar, he's a member of a swim club in 4-H, uh, he's supportive and smart and always willing to lend a hand, he enjoys spending time, I love this part, he enjoys spending time with his grandparents and learning about the old days from them. And me, as a person of grandparent age, practically, um, thinking about telling a kid about the old days cracks me up, because <laughs> what we talk about, we talk about new, new age music, new wave music. New age music. <laughs> new age music. That too. We that's use part of the old days. And chime <laughs> to make song. Back when I was a kid, we wore a lot of bright colors, Franklin. Um, anyway, so uh, even though he thinks Charlie Brown's friends are a little weird, he's happy to be part of the gang. He goes to school with Peppermint Patty and Marcy, but visits Charlie Brown uh, in a nearby neighborhood. So uh, he first showed up, as I said, in '68. Uh, he met Charlie Brown at the beach, and his introduction was part of a uh, of a five day series. Uh, in which Sally, who's Charlie Brown's little sister, um, threw Charlie Brown's beach ball into the ocean and Franklin went to get it for him. So uh, American public beaches were not legally segregated at the, at this time, but were segregated, um, in fact, basically a lot of sort of like like now, I guess you don't see if in certain neighborhoods you see mostly white people, certain neighborhoods you see mostly, you know, people from Russia. Or, are they white people? I don't know. I'm going to get myself Slavic. in trouble. <laughs> Slavic people. I lived in a Russian Jewish neighborhood in West Hollywood. I'm very comfortable talking about okay. uh, uh, the Russian population. It's vast and diverse. I'll leave it to you. Thank okay. you. Um, so anyway, so... Um, Public beaches were, were de facto segregated at the time, so this uh, caused some consternation. Um, and Franklin later even visited Charlie Brown's house, and, and as I mentioned, found some of Charlie Brown's friends to be weird, which is, you know, legitimate. Um, and then he last appeared in 1999, which is the year before Charles Schultz died, sadly. Um, 
But there may never have been a Franklin if it weren't for an L.A. school teacher named Harriet Glickman, who wrote to Schultz in April 1968, which was, um, was 11 days after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., and she urged him to introduce a black character into Peanuts. So obviously, racial tension was high. There were riots and desegregation in schools and the assassination of Dr. King included. Um, Schultz wrote back saying that he had thought about it, but he didn't want to appear to be patronizing. He said, I would be very happy to try, but I'm sure that I would receive the sort of criticism that would make it appear as if I were doing this in a condescending manner. But then one of Glickman's friends got enlisted to write to Schultz too, and he wrote saying, the introduction of a black character would, quote, ease my problem of seeing, having my kids seeing themselves pictured in the overall American scene. Secondly, it would suggest racial amity in a casual day-to-day sense. You mentioned a fear of being patronizing. Though I doubt that any Negro would view your efforts that way, I'd like to suggest that an accusation of being patronizing would be a small price to pay for the positive results that would accrue. And there I use the word Negro, which is kind of off, off, off the table these days. Um, that's the word that was used at the time as the respectful term. Um, yeah. Or so it was considered, but not anymore. Um, I maybe should have not said it. I don't know. I'm not quite clear on it's, what it's the right o- thing to do I is. mean, I'm going to say it's okay, but it's not my place to say it's okay. Um, I will say it's a word I don't take. It's not even my, my thing to take offense. When other right. people say it, nobody ever says it, right? So I, I can't even say when other people say it. Right. When I trip it's, over it, when I read it, yeah, it all depends on context. Okay. Right? So somebody in the 21st century uses that word, they're, they mean it in a derogatory fashion. Right. right. Like if I were using it to refer to somebody in my day-to-day life, that would probably be a big fat I'd no-no. I'd fall down in fucking shock if you did something like that. <laughs> be, what? Uh, but it's then so you have the United Negro College Fund. That's true. Right. That's true. And then we also have the uh, NAACP, the National Association of Colored People. And so these are terminology, terminologies, these are words that were used at a time in polite society to talk about various other people, people of color. Right, right. right. And so I think it went... I apologize for any offense, but um, it was no offense was intended. And if anyone would like to write and tell me that I should never say that word in any context, again, I I will take that to heart. But, you know, also have like a real, real reason behind writing in to say that just don't do it because you're like fuck them <laughs> open the door <laughs> yeah because that's what i would do i'd be like you don't say that word okay i have power over somebody's like, okay. life sure uh so in an interview with charles schultz in 1988 he said i finally put franklin in and there was one strip where charlie brown and franklin had been playing the beach and frank playing on the beach and franklin said well, it's been nice being with you. Come on over to my house sometime. Some people didn't like that. Another editor protested once when Franklin was sitting in the same row of school desks with Peppermint Patty and said, we have enough trouble here in the South without you showing the kids together in school. But I never paid any attention to those things. I cannot. I mean, I can believe uh-huh. that. I cannot uh-huh. believe that. Uh-huh. you think in 1968 it's people would be shocking. over it. But apparently not. Um Charles Schultz said, I never paid attention to those things, and I remember telling Larry at the time about Franklin. He wanted me to change it, and we talked about it for a long while on the phone, and I finally sighed and said, well, Larry, let's put put it this way. Either you print it just the way I draw it, or I quit. How's that? So that's the way it ended. I mean, great. That's exactly how you handle those things. Yeah. I should try that at work. 
Well, if somebody's <laughs> do, pushing racism on you, yes, you yeah, should. Yeah, I will, for sure. Right. But if it's get to your desk on time, that's another thing. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't work under these conditions. All right. In a later conversation with Harriet Glickman, she said, my parents were very concerned about others. And I'm reading this because I like what she has to say, and I'm contrasting it with what you might hear today. Um, maybe maybe the circles that I travel in are negative, but I don't hear a lot of this kind of conversation today. I don't know. So anyway, she said, my parents were very concerned about others and the values that they instilled in us about caring for and appreciating everyone of all colors and backgrounds. This is what we knew when we were growing up, that you cared about other people. And so during the years, we were very aware of the issues of racism and civil rights in this country. And remember, when I was young, black people had to sit at the back of the bus. Black people couldn't sit in the same seats in the restaurants that you could sit. The period before I wrote the letter was the major period of civil rights activities. Every day I would see or read about black children getting, trying to get into school and seeing crowds of white people standing around spitting at them or yelling at them, and the beatings and the dogs and the hosings and the courage of so many people in that time. I just like what she says about her parents trying to instill this value of equality in, in the kids growing up. I think, I think that's, really, that's really sweet and that's really important. I'd like to hear more of it, so get on that, Theo. Uh, I am working on that right now with this podcast. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I read that same thing, and I liked her further explanation about what prompted her to write into Schultz. What do you mean? Oh, well, so tell where she, she said, I will. I will tell you. Uh, so in that same interview, she says, um, you know, it wasn't as if one day I said, oh, things are bad and Martin Luther King was shot and I should do something. It was the accumulation of all the years of seeing the discrimination, the segregation, the hatred and all. And I just thought maybe I'll do something. And I realized that Peanuts was the most beloved comic strip in the country. And I wrote not only to Schultz, but I also wrote to a few other cartoonists as well. Um, and so, you know, yeah. And I liked that it was... Oh, hey, my whole life I've been aware of racism and the and you know this one event was sort of the I don't want to say the last straw but showed me that like oh wow this is only ever going to get worse if <laughs> well, we don't do something think, about it. It makes me think that maybe one person can change things or at least could in 1968 and maybe now you can't write to a cartoonist and have them even read your letter or find your letter among all the letters that they get but i mean maybe it is possible for one person to make a difference oh yeah absolutely i th i do think so right um but i guess maybe the avenues are different today yeah yeah given that everybody can have a youtube channel and any one person can you know, become the loudest voice in the country. All you have to do is just say something that's shitty enough. Yeah, or do a little dance. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the Thanksgiving special. Yes. Uh, 1973 animated special of Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Franklin is sitting on one side of the table by himself in a lawn chair, and the other kids are sitting on the other sides of the table in various chairs of various descriptions, and they're eating toast and jelly beans and popcorn. And it's pretty obvious that they just put this thing together um, ad, ad hoc um, with the materials they had available. So, um, But uh, Darnell Hunt 
says he's the Dean of Social Sciences and Professor of Sociology and African American Studies at UCLA. And he said to Yahoo Life, having Franklin on this long side by himself, you could interpret it that no one wanted to sit next to him. Hunt, who remembers feeling included in ways I hadn't before when he first saw Franklin in a Peanuts comic strip, says that Schultz probably thought he was doing a good thing by including the character at all. But Hunt said it's a classic example of what can be missed even when you're trying to be inclusive. Today this would not be acceptable, says Hunt. It really does speak to the need for more inclusive creators and storytellers behind the scenes who produce these images. He adds, that's why it's so important to have people in the writer's rooms and in production who might be more sensitive to these issues. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's absolutely not wrong. Um, Darren Bell, who won a Pulitzer Prize for editorial cartooning, said that a lot of cartoons are like Rorschach tests, in which people have their own interpretations of certain scenes. When I saw that image of Franklin, my first thought was Charles Schultz really wanted Franklin to be seen, and Franklin was really important. He added that Peanuts was a kind and inclusive comic strip. And is this, I think this is the, um, these are the folks who were on a panel. Yeah, so the, uh, the Charles M. Schultz Museum held a panel for uh, black cartoonist, and within that discussion, they uh, they I, they didn't really address, but they talked about the the charges of racism. Yeah, yeah, I, it, in that scene, right? Um, and one of the cartoonists, Rob Armstrong, uh, right. said very clearly, "Listen, I know that Charles M. Schulz." was by no means a racist and here's my experience with him. Yep. Um, and I, I told you when I was researching this, there were two things that made me cry. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to do it now. Uh -huh. um, uh, it was Armstrong's uh, recounting of meeting Charles Schultz. So when Armstrong's comic got picked up, um, oh, and I'm so sorry. I, I know it's jump. Thank you. That's I was trying to call it Jump Street, and it's like it's not Jump Street. That's Jump a TV Start. show. Yeah. So when Jumpstart got picked up by uh, United Syndicate, sure. Um, he asked the editor, "Hey, I'd like to meet Charles Schultz," and, and the editor was like, um, "Yeah, you and everybody else. So no, right? Aww. But send him a strip." And so Armstrong sent him a um, a strip. Uh, that a uh, published strip is what I'm trying to say. He didn't draw something special, Schultz. And uh, in that, one of his uh, figures is in the shower singing a popular song, Hang On Sloopy. But yeah, instead yeah. of the word Sloopy, she uses Snoopy. And that's referencing Peanuts and how cute, right? Yeah. And so that's a strip that Armstrong sends to Schultz. And then um, a year and a half later, Armstrong gets invited to Charles Schultz's studio. And gets to meet Charles Schulz. And when he walks into the studio, he sees that his drawing that he sent was framed over Schulz's desk. Wow. Right? And Aww. it was this discussion that they had. Um, and they were friends for like 20, 30 years. Um, where Schulz was like, yeah, I, I really can't draw a black person's experience i can't write a black person's experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and so mm -hmm. i'm aware that anything i do is going to be an issue mm -hmm. but i am honored to have inspired a black child 
who wanted to be a cartoonist. When Armstrong was three, he told his mother that he wanted to be a cartoonist mm. and grew up to become a cartoonist. Mm. And it was the representation of Franklin in Peanuts that showed mm. Armstrong that he could grow up to become a cartoonist, right? Wow. Because look, there's a black little boy in a cartoon right. and I want to draw cartoons. I can do this. And then he does. And then he gets to meet his hero. And then he walks into that hero's office and he finds uh, a drawing that he did. Uh, and yeah. not only that, but Franklin's last name was made to be Armstrong in a later um, um, television show or television, what do you call it? Special. A show. You can call it a show. A TV show. It's <laughs> perfectly appropriate. I'm so familiar. yeah, they named Franklin things. after, uh, Charles Schultz named Franklin after Rob Armstrong, which is super sweet. It's super sweet. That did not make me cry. Uh, but the picture oh, well. over the desk totally made me cry. That made you cry. Oh, and the rest really of the nice. special, the rest of the special, can only be about what makes me cry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, interestingly, in 1972, before the Thanksgiving special, Franklin was seated at a dinner table on the same side as his friends in Snoopy Come Home. So I think um, that leads us to the apology, which is not really an apology. But the comments from Jean Schultz, um, who is the widow of the late Charles Schultz, she issued a statement on the whole um, Thanksgiving Franklin matter, uh, saying uh, the scene would have had nothing to do with Sparky, which is a nickname for Charles Schultz, because it was purely the animators and the directors working on it. The director parcels out the scenes to the animators, and the animators who drew that scene aren't alive anymore, or we don't know how to find them. The controversy first popped up a couple of years ago. I've probably watched the special a dozen times, and I hadn't noticed it, but I wouldn't notice it. It's to be noticed now. In a blog post previously published on the Charles M. Schultz Museum and Research Center website, Jean offered a little more context to what likely happened back in the 70s, writing, While it can't be known now which animator drew that particular scene, you can be sure there was no ulterior motive. I fall back on Peppermint Patty's apology to Charlie Brown, explaining she meant no harm when she criticized his poor Thanksgiving offering, which goes something like, There are enough problems in the world already without these misunderstandings. To suggest this show had any other messages than the importance of family, sharing, and gratitude is to look for an issue where there is none. Now, I kind of don't like that so much because it's just like saying, well, maybe you're offended by it, but you shouldn't be, which well, is it, a common response to racism. Yeah. But, but. but well, right. And that's it exactly. So I... I liked a lot of what she had to say, particularly the acknowledgement that, hey, this concern about Franklin sitting on the other side of the table alone isn't something that I ever noticed, nor yeah. would I have ever exactly. noticed it. But it is to be noticed now. Exactly. Right? That was and perfect. I think that is perfect. And if she had stopped there, I'd be yeah. like, wow, you're really progressive. That's great. Um, and yes, and you're right. Right. Because uh, yeah. it it hits the real issue, which is sometimes we are inadvertently we racist. Know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And another person a lot of times. can look at something and say, I mean, Rob Armstrong was, uh, who again was the little black boy who grew up to become a black animator, said during the panel that uh, the, the scene where Franklin's seated at the table on the other side away from all the other characters, is exactly how he feels every day. Right. Right. And, so sad. That's going to make me cry. Well, oh, you cry too? 
I'm going to cry. We're going to have to stop doing this show. Um, so many people are like, please. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, in a way, it actually does speak to how people of color feel in this country. Yeah. Included but excluded. Oh, so sad. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and fair enough. I mean... The way anybody feels about anything, everyone's entitled to have their feelings. It's not yeah. for me to say somebody shouldn't feel that way. Uh, but then, you know, it's sort of the sort of the territory that Jean's moving into when she says, well, that wasn't the intention of the show. And anybody yeah, therefore that comes there's no problem. In, right. Right. Well, I right. mean, I, maybe not quite. Yes, you could you could extend her argument to that point and, and pull it into that territory. Um I'd like to keep it in that nice marshmallow middle ground <laughs> of, you know, she's a nice older lady. Um, she didn't. Yeah, she gets it. She doesn't yeah, understand so. it emotionally, but she understands that other people are upset and yeah. that they have reason to be and that there are experiences that she nor her husband could have ever related to. And therefore... I want to say they didn't try, but they didn't. They didn't pretend that they could. That's a better way okay. of, of putting it okay. forward. Yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. So let's rate the apology. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I I think personally, uh -huh. I I think there should be no rating because it's not an apology. And even okay. if it were an apology, it would not be for two white people to accept it or decline it. Well, right, right. But, I mean, we could rate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can rate what another white person does. That's um, true. You're right. We can. Yeah, we can. I give us permission to do that. All um, right. And so, on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being, you know, the Michael Shaman of Perfect apologies. Apology. Right. <laughs> Boo. Boo. And the one being not. Um, yeah. you know, it's tough. You would think I would have actually thought about the number that I, <laughs> that I would really, have given it's really it. It's really not an apology. So I don't know if we can rate it as an apology because she well, didn't say, I'm sorry. She's it, like, you know, well, it was kind of it, not intended it, to be. It's, yeah. So a, as an apology, because she does technically use the word apology when she says, I might mirror Peppermint Patty's apology, right? That's true. And so that's a bit. It's a bit dismissive, um, you know, but on the other hand, is it? I don't know, right? Um, right. Because Peppermint Patty, it's just the whole wholesomeness of, of Charlie Brown of Peanuts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Gene Schultz is somebody from that world of wholesomeness. Um, whether, she, whether there's inadvertent racism or not is another thing, but she... You know, so oh god, I don't know. It's, it's a you four. should really read more early early peanuts because they were really fucking funny. But um, I okay, I'll say I will because I always <laughs> say I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna do that. I'll, I'll totally that do that. <laughs> and then I get up and I say I have nothing to do. Oh, so, so if bored. I'm gonna rate this apology, I'll give it a six. Okay, I gave it a four, so we're both dancing around a five, so that's okay. a five, right? Fair enough, it's a five. Four plus six, yeah. So it's, it's a middle ground one. Um, she acknowledges that there that uh, some people have 
real feelings around this yeah. issue. Yeah. And does the kind of uh it's not quite a I'm sorry you feel this way apology, but it sort of is. A, I'm sorry yeah. that you feel this way. We didn't mean for you to feel this way. Um and so yeah, it's it's not a stellar apology. But for me what was stellar was her acknowledgement that it wasn't an issue that was on her radar, but she recognizes that it's on the radar now. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. So not a total discounting, um, but you know, also not a total affirmation. I think that's fair. And, uh, I think we should talk about who's sorry now. Oh, well, actually I have to tell you the other thing that made me cry. Oh yeah. And that, uh, give you a, a little bit of a deep dive into some of the, is there racism in Charlie Brown's production yeah, crew? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Gene Schultz is talking about like, oh, you know, here's what my husband did and here's his idea behind this thing or that thing, right? And she talks about how Charles Schultz has Franklin and Charlie Brown meet on the beach, right? They yes. don't meet like, oh, I just moved in across the street from you. Right. How challenging would that have been? Charlie Brown lives in a neighborhood where a black person moved in. Oh, my God. Shut down the country. Right. Um, so the beach is neutral territory, um, okay. even though there were laws. And as to your point, there's de facto segregation, yeah. even if there wasn't a law. Um, OK, so she says, uh, speaking as her husband, um, I want to do this. How on earth do I do it in a way that's natural the easy thing would have been to have Franklin be a new kid who moves to town and lives across the street, but instead he had the meet in a very neutral place. And then it's revealed that he goes to Peppermint Patty School across town. I wish he was here now because it never occurred to me to ask him how he hit on that idea. I always say that in all the years I was married to Sparky, it seemed like he created the strip so effortlessly. It's my penance now to study all the things I took for granted then. Hmm. Heartbreaking. That's sweet. Heartbreaking. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to boost my four up to a five and maybe a six. Because I feel bad for her. I wonder um, if she's still alive. I think she is. She was alive up until a few years ago, which doesn't answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow if she was alive in 2019, that sort of counts as now. The museum um, is up in Sonoma. I should go there and check it out. I hate you. You should. If I, if I were smart, I would have done that before this episode. <laughs> no, that's where you lie. But I'm and, not smart. And so, yeah, I did. I totally, I went, totally went there. It was fantastic. Um, all right. So I just wanted to see, um, hey, okay, were any of these guys sort of maybe clan people or racist somehow, right? Yikes. Um, so Charles Schultz, of course not. We, okay, you know, good. We know, not intentionally racist, done, solved. <sighs> Lee Mendelson was a producer who worked with Charles Schulz on a number of the uh, iconic Peanuts cartoons, including yes. the Christmas Carol one. Yes. Uh, Lee Mendelson, who was Jewish, died on Christmas Day in 2019. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so how did he get involved with Charles Schulz and Peanuts? He did a documentary <laughs> on Willie Mays, who was uh, an African-American baseball player and was considered the best baseball player of all time uh, back in the... I think it was the 60s he did that, but I don't hold me to the to the decade. Uh, so he did a documentary on Willie Mays, and then he was like, I did one on the best baseball player. Why don't I do one on the worst baseball player, Charlie Brown? <laughs> and so he approached Charles Schultz and was like, I'd like to do a documentary, and they ended up working together. So 
Lee Mendelson is the person who brought in Vince Guaraldi. Really? Whose music for Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Christmas is my favorite Christmas music. Mine too. It's I, so good. It's the Love best. It. It's Love the it. best. I can, I can listen, listen to, to it, it over and over. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, my little Merry angel. Christmas. <laughs> um, all right, let's see here. So, uh, da, da, da. and then um, when they couldn't find any satisfying lyrics for Garaldi's lovely instrumental piece, Christmas Time is Here, Mendelssohn wrote the lyrics to that wow. song. Christmas wow. Time is He didn't sing it, though. Um, the role producer is often imagined to be the money guy who brings the funds and the talent to make the project work, but Mendelssohn was much more than that. He and Scholl's brainstormed about the idea for Charlie Brown Christmas together. Uh, Mendelssohn had read a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, The Fir Tree, and that gave Scholl's the idea to come up with the uh, idea of a central, you know, what's, the, what's this episode about? Oh, it's about mm -hmm. Charlie Brown finds a broken Christmas tree, mm -hmm. right? And what's the true meaning of Christmas? Um, so cool, right? Lovely. And I'm going to say Lee Mendelssohn. Good guy. Probably not a racist. That's not to yeah. say that Jewish people can't be racist. Of course. I know some, some problems. There's some words. But, um, you know, probably, probably not an overt racist, right? Um, and then uh, head animator, Bill Melendez, and this is where I'm going to screw up, and because their last names are so similar to me, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Mendelssohn and Melendez. Uh, but he was uh, Bill Melendez, who was the head animator, was born in Hermosillo uh, in Mexico and walked across the border with his mother oh, as a child in 1920 to wow. America. Wow. And became an American citizen officially when he signed up for the military wow they gave him a citizenship then right i wish they did that now but anyway well um i think they do if but okay i don't know clearly because i said i think they do and you shook <laughs> your head no and i was like okay i don't think so <laughs> i don't know but i we'll i bet it's 20 bucks they don't there's no way to ever know <laughs> there's no way to ever know no. Um, all right, cool. And so uh, Melendez, who was an undocumented immigrant from Mexico, grew up to become a uh, cartoonist, started off with Disney, as most of the animators did at a certain point in, in mm -hmm. early American um, cartoon history. And um, let's see here. Yeah, okay. So he worked on a bunch of cartoons, Fantasia, Bambi, Pinocchio, he ended up working with Charles Schulz on uh, the Peanuts cartoons, and his name was not Bill, uh, but the Disney cartoonist gave him that name because his real name was too long. So uh -huh. here's somebody who actually, yes. at the hands of white people, suffered inadvertent racism. Yeah. Right? Your name's too funny. Well, they didn't say it was funny, but they yeah, said it was too long. Yeah, your name's too weird. We're going to call yeah. you Bill. We're going to call you Bill, and that's the name he went by. Uh, and so that was kind of the end of that. Yeah. Um, but I will say that on Twitter, which of course is where this controversy rages as yes. all controversies in American yes. culture do without Twitter, <laughs> we would never know what to be angry about. Um, there's a woman named Kimberly Manning, who is a doctor, a medical doctor. 
and she shared a clip of the peanuts. Uh, what word am I looking for? Where Franklin sitting by himself. She shared. Oh yeah, the sequence. A still. Thank you. Yes. A still. A still. And she says, "This unedited image is from a 1973 cartoon that I watched every single Thanksgiving as a kid. Seeing Franklin at that table was a big deal to us." Yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah. And then she says, dang, diversity without equality and inclusion is sad, is a sad, subtle thing, isn't it? Then and now. She goes on, right? Mm -hmm. So very valid point. I think that sums up the whole issue beautifully. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. it explains both sides of the equation beautifully. Mm -hmm. And then she says, I believe the entire body of work around the character Franklin added in 1968, um, by Charles Schultz, creator of Peanuts, was forward-thinking and brave. This isn't a dig at his legacy or intentions. But regardless of the many interpretations of why Franklin sat alone, he did. Um, And then, you know, I dove into her Twitter comments, because how do you not when you see something that's like, that's really reasonable. And yeah, you know, this is the way I feel. Here's why. Yep. But I understand, right? It's, it's everything. She's got it all down in a tweet. So smart. She should have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the very scientific survey that I conducted by looking at two comments yes. in her feed, right? Yes. Where people, had, uh, and surprise, white people had that uh, knee-jerk reaction of, this is ridiculous. Right. There's no need to be upset about it. It's a cartoon. <laughs> However you might want to right, like right. put that, right? Um, I went and looked on their feeds. Yeah, racist. Racist. I, if not racist, at least white supremacist. Because some of the stuff it. they liked, I was like, oh, Yikes. yeah. So, right. Like on one hand, I could, even I could say, yeah, it feels kind of ridiculous to say, oh, this is racist. But then if I think about it for two seconds, it's like, you know what? It wouldn't have occurred to me that it's racist, but I can absolutely see why somebody feels that way. And looking at it, yeah, I can, I can agree. Um, sure. there There's something going on there that, that the people at the time didn't recognize. They thought they were doing good, right? At least you're invited to the party. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. And then I looked into the uh, episode last night with 21st century eyes and I am not diminishing charges of racism, but I do want to say that um, I can project myself 50 years into the future. And here's some Mm -hmm. other things that are going to be problematic with this. Uh, Oh boy. Yeah. So we have the misgendering of peppermint Patty by Marcy who calls peppermint Patty, sir. Yeah. A lot. Right. So is that homophobia? Is it transphobia? Don't know. Right. Uh, we have sexual harassment where Pema Patty is after Charlie Brown and forces herself upon him. Right. Right. He, just, he doesn't want her. She right. calls him up and says, hey, I'm coming to your house for Thanksgiving. And she flirts <laughs> with him. And we could even say stock. It's a lot of yeah. harassment. Yeah. There's misogyny in the form of humor that Peppermint Patty is reversing gender roles. So it's funny because it's a woman who's chasing a man. So that right. makes it funny. So that's misogyny, in my opinion. There's bestiality because we have the animals who cook the dinner. What? (laughs) (laughs) I literally can't breathe now. (laughs) 
Scoopy serves. He's got to wear an outfit. I'm crying. And then... <laughs> Thank you. When I thought of that, I ran back here to type that up so that I wouldn't forget. Good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> And I'm glad I didn't put it in notes because that would have been really hard to explain. I don't want to kill people anymore with bestiality. Uh, And then finally, we end with charges of cannibalism where Woodstock eats a turkey. Woodstock is a bird. Right. Um, For our international audience who may not be familiar with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving or care enough about Thanksgiving to watch a cartoon about Thanksgiving. So, um, yeah. uh, But I I put all of that forward. I think the misgendering and the misogyny may have some legs in the future. Maybe. But everything is going... I mean, our entire culture is based on that. So, yeah, it's only we're only ever going to be problematic in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Sadly. that's not to take away from charges of racism because those are real and, and valid um, concerns to have and express. Uh, and while there may not have been... I'm, here I am apologizing for it, like, you know... Uh, you didn't do it. I thank you for letting me off the hook that way. <laughs> letting you off the hook. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, okay. Yeah. So where are we at? Who's sorry now? Or apology now, expected? Theo? Anyone sorry now? Um, I am. I do. I have one. Um. Mm, 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 mm. If you I, don't. I have an apology expected. Why don't you go and then I'll I'll have one. Okay. So, um from from the happy cartoon world of peanuts to the less than happy world of real life, um I am expecting an apology from Merck, the um pharmaceutical company, uh soon because this past week there were some vials found in one of their labs in Pennsylvania, which was not 10 minutes from where I grew up. Um and the vials are labeled smallpox. Oh, so they're doing, and they're looking now into seeing what the fuck is in these vials. Uh, a, what? B, why are you? Why? Why do you have smallpox in a Merck lab in Pennsylvania? C, they said, uh, oh, it's okay. The people who found it had gloves and masks on. Fuck you. That's not enough. D, were these found in a freezer? Were they in a minus 80 freezer or whatever? Or were they in a regular freezer? I don't know. I don't have any answers. All I know is that I read an article saying that there were vials found labeled smallpox uh, in in a Merck lab in Pennsylvania. And I'm expecting a big fat fucking apology from Merck, if not um, the entire state of Pennsylvania. (laughs) Entire world! That shit's contagious! I know, right? Yeah, and the article made it clear to state that there's enough vaccine for everybody, in, I guess, in the U.S. If, um, if, if smallpox got out. But, I mean, okay, sure, good. I guess we know now that we can vaccinate a lot of people, so that's not so terrifying as it was maybe 10 years ago to think about smallpox getting out. But, um, but still, let's have an apology for that, Merck. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, if COVID disfigured people the way that smallpox disfigured oh people, because if people you survive, would be getting the vaccine so fast. Yeah. You have fucking five masks on. Oh, yeah. Not you, oh, yeah. but I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm the, the naughty I use would. that are running around without masks. 
I, I would live inside this tent I've created in this closet for our podcast. And I'm I would totally not go ready outside. to lock down forever now that I hear smallpox is out. Because smallpox has been one of my fears, like one of my irrational fears all my life is getting smallpox. That is a very irrational fear. <laughs> how, who can explain how the brain works, Theo? Well, I can. Um, I had a fear of headhunters until I was probably like 30. You mean like consultant headhunters? <laughs> no. <laughs> when you were 15 I mean, like, years old, you the, have nightmares about people. <laughs> with but animals job, and stuff. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. So uh, irrational fears. Yeah. Headhunters. Wow. Don't know that why. That is irrational. Especially yeah. Well, it's not like I thought they were outside, you know, <laughs> my say, door. Especially in the southern part of the United States. <laughs> it's just why I never went to the Amazon. Okay. All those times I was invited to go to the Amazon. And I, That's no. why. I've always wondered. Headhunters. Headhunters and water tarantulas. No. Water tarantulas. Tarantulas no, that live in the water and can swim. Yikes. And they crawl up pipes. <laughs> It's why I'm I'm not so sure about going to Australia because of all the deadly things they have there. Oh it fuck! Australia is not fucking around. They want to kill you. They do. Have you been to Australia? Yes, yeah, a couple of times. And, Did you die? Um, yes. That's, <laughs> don't you recognize you're in heaven with me doing a Aww, podcast? Aww. This is the best heaven. It's just it's just, well, it's the only one you're getting. <laughs> It's like the Mormons. Um, we got several layers of heaven, and on this one, I get to be on a podcast with Theo. Yay! Hey. Uh, the ninth, the ninth circle of heaven. Right. Um, yeah. No, Australia's fine. Podcast fine. circle. It's a podcast circle. Everyone's got one. Um, yeah, it's a long way to fly to get to California, in my yes. opinion. Right. Yes. It's very yes. American. It's very California. At least, at least the Gold Coast, uh, which is where I went. Oh, really? Okay. And um, the only way I knew it was in Australia was sorry. This is sad. All of the roadkill kangaroos on the side of the holy shit! Wow, roads that and would they be weren't even highways. Uh, you get used to it after a while, but you yeah. know, how, like you'll see a dead deer or dead, yeah, uh, you know, uh, a raccoon, wanna, something, yeah, yeah. possum, oh, weird, Let's th- armadillo. Let's name all the things. Javelina. 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 You see them in Arizona sometimes. I don't know what that is. Is it's it like a, a little deer? It's a pig. No. You haven't seen Javelinas in Palm Springs? No. What? Oh, go look it no. up. No. Uh, okay. I will. All right. All right. Fine. <laughs> I watched and then I won't. Anyway. I um, <laughs> so who's sorry now is what I have. And I'll keep it easy and breezy. I am sorry to my friend Terry. We are not going to his house for Thanksgiving. Aww. Um yeah, I'm disappointed. Um, we're just going to have a quiet one here. It would have been a lot of money to go, yeah. and I don't want to take the dog, and I don't want to drive. Now, right. could I have gotten in the car five days ago and driven? Yes, I could have, right? Right. So could I have done this thing? Yes, I could have. Did I want to? No, I did not want to. Right. Why? Not because Terry's not worth it, but because Terry's not worth it. <laughs> but you invited him to your house for thanksgiving so yes that's and i wasn't totally worth reasonable. it yeah he said no and so here we are um so yeah and are. then we're going for new year's and so hooray but oh, uh, yeah so that's my apology um i would love to but uh the idea of driving another two days there and two days back and then 
what do I do and with the, the dog? dog and all that? Yeah. I have to, the dog's too much work when I'm in somebody else's house. So there right. you go. Anyway, long story. Fair enough. Okay. All right. I think that's it for today. That is it. Yes. So thank you, Theo. Thank you, not Theo. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with another exciting edition of Apologies Accepted, the podcast. The Yay! podcast. Yay. Bye. Goodbye. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>